0: They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The second passage is Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls who has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves and a cord of three strands, is not quickly broken. Our third passage is Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another, stir up one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Our last verse is from Peter, 1st Peter 4 8 and 9. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. May God add the blessing to the reading of his word. Okay. Are you ready to jump in? Buckle your seatbelts. Children, you're... Again, journey, Thessalonica later on. But there's one passage I want to pull from Acts 17.11 to uh, apply for us today. When Paul went to those Galatian churches, he went to the the Gentile churches, he would meet different communities. And the the one in Thessalonica in 17.11, he says, now these Jews in Thessalonica were more noble-minded than those in Berea, because they searched the Scriptures diligently to see whether what Paul was saying was really true. And that's what I would invite us to do, to turn on your brain and love God with all of your mind. But as we think through things today, we've been going slowly through the book of Galatians to really ponder and 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 try to get back in time what was going on then, and then bring it forward to today. And so we know, uh, as we're going into uh, this passage, that we've we learned last couple of weeks that what the Judaizers were trying to do was to prevent the very blessing that gave the young believers to go back into the old style of. Uh, uh, old Jewish traditions, the old wineskin, but that the blessing of Abraham, which was the promise of the Holy Spirit being given to the Gentiles, that the Gentiles would be brought into the kingdom. And so we we've talked about that a little bit, and last week I mentioned that this was the whole cosmic shift in time because the Messiah has now brought back to us in the present, the future, and when Jesus came in, he opened up heaven on earth. And that's why we pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. And so the kingdom is a present reality, a shifting focus that the way Christians learn to live their life on earth as it were they had been in heaven, tasted, feasted, enjoyed heaven, and then come back and living now on earth in a whole new way of life, which Paul will get into. This new humanity, this new creation. If anyone is in Christ, the old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. And the Judaizers were saying, no, 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 let's go back to the old ways, and uh, you'll try to do it the Jewish way. And Paul said, no, no. You don't understand what God is doing. This spirit of freedom has released us from the old cultural, ethnocentric, legalistic uh, Torah, dietary laws, and, and those that they were trying to do to get into heaven. And Paul says, no, no, you don't understand. That, that once you understand that Christ has, Christ has set you free, it was for freedom but it wasn't just freedom to do what you want. It was a freedom to come back into the relationship, a freedom to really learn without any guilt and without any shame. And as we have worked through those things, we've understood where faith comes in. And we're going to go back and revisit that in just a moment. But the idea that the, that the Christians were to be maturing in spirit. There's something about the Christian, if you have been stagnant or stuck, in a tradition or in routines and disciplines, you, you're you missing the very blessing coming from heaven uh, through the Holy Spirit. And the idea that what was going back then was people who were marginalized, people who weren't Jewish, Gentiles, people who were not clean, religious, traditional, or like the Jews felt pressure to conform to a culture that God says, no, no this is not about conformity to this group or that group. It's about conforming to my son, about following the kingdom. And what that meant was that those who were rejected would be brought in as family. Those who were lower socioeconomic class would be now called brother, sister. And therefore, there's a whole cosmic shift going on in society. And the same for us. But I want to take today and and move us into thinking about something where our culture has shifted our thinking and influenced our way of living in a way that's different. So I'm calling you to think about what the Bible is saying. And I want to give credit where credit is due. Um, My my reading last month has been uh, listening to uh, Walt Russell from Biola University. And his study, his dissertation, was on this particular passage we're in. And I knew this was coming, so I went back and studied it again. So a lot of this work comes from the Scriptures. And and then with John Stott and John Piper and a number of other people, I keep bouncing around. But I want to offer it to you. But be prepared, because this this is going to make you think today. You were called to freedom, brethren. And again, Paul is moving us through. Remember, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Keep that in mind. Chapter 5, you were called to freedom, brethren, but do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, through love, serve Gentiles. Serve the prostitutes. Serve the person that you don't like. Serve, through love, serve those who've come into the kingdom that are not like you but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But, again, but that first mark that if you're going to love, the first mark is quit smoking, quit drinking, quit running around with those who do. Some expression. He says, but if you're not loving Be careful, because if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. And I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, what we do in this passage is we distort this. I'm going to share it with you, so follow with me. He says these six things. You're called to freedom. You choose the way in which you use your freedom. Don't use it for the flesh. But three, you're going to serve. Your serving spirit is going to be a mark of your love. But take care. Pay attention. Look at this. And walk by the spirit. And you won't be fulfilling those purposes, those patterns of the flesh. Those things Paul is saying to these Jews who were biting and devouring, you better get circumcised, you better do it our way, you've got to be just like us. And Paul says, wait a minute, you're going to be in an argument culture, which is where we are today. The young believing Jews, they forgot when Paul was there what Paul was teaching them. That there was a different gospel, and these guys are trying to get you against me. and, And when I was there, you were doing well, but somebody's hindered you from following the Spirit. You would have sacrificed your eyes for me. You were in love. Our relationship was good, but something came in and distorted the way you were thinking about me and about the gospel. And they're pulling you back into the old ways, and now you're going to line up with the Judaizers. But their pitch was this. The Judaizers had an argument, and the argument must have been somewhat persuasive because they said, basically, you're not there yet. You're not in the family of God. Therefore, God isn't your father until you fulfill what we do in our way of doing things. And they thought, well, okay, you guys know. You're the experts. This is your, I mean, you're Jewish, and you know more than I do because I'm Gentile. And, so. and Paul says, no, no. And Paul Paul gives an indication of this right at the book, at the beginning of the book. So notice what he says in chapter 1. And we glossed over this. We didn't point this out. But in chapter 1, Paul says, An apostle, not sent from men through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ. And note God, the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, Paul, an apostle, Not through the agency of man. Oh, that's a copy. But, um, But through God the Father, who raised him from the dead, grace to you and peace from God our Father, second time, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. At the beginning of this book, he's emphasizing one thing about God. He says, God the Father... God, our Father, our God and Father. Who's he talking to? Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles, you all call God Father, our Father, our God and Father. You are part of the family. Young believer who's being distorted and deceived by the. He starts with the fact that you are already blessed, you're already in, but you're being misled. And so Paul's really trying to say, Take care, pay attention, because you're going to hear different things from two sides. And that's what Paul is doing in this book, because he contrasts as a method to see the difference. And, and we, are, we understand the contrasts, how they work. In Augustine, he would write, in contrast to the Roman policies of the world that day, he would talk about the city of God. You hear, you hear of uh, Dickens, uh, A Tale of Two Cities. It's an interesting story. Uh, this wasn't the title, actually. It's, this story is about resurrection. And Dickens wanted to be, uh, name this Recalled to Life. You move from this to that, from salvation, from salvation to, there's a movement, and there are two horizons. And this professor, particularly difficult to read, but he is saying that the way we think about the Bible in 21st century Western culture, we don't get it because those horizons are distinct. And so we need to learn not only how the language and, the, and their, their culture is affecting the way they think, we need to think about it. But we do this. But to think that we have the horizon from kingdom and seeing seeing life from God's perspective and an earthly perspective. There are two horizons. So, so right off the bat, you'll see Paul in this book he's talking about two Gospels. And actually, it's the true Gospel of Jesus. But he says there's a distorted Gospel, which is really not a Gospel. It's being kind of a make, made up as it goes along. But, it's, but there are two Gospels, and you have a choice. There are two groups there are two communities as it were uh the judaizers and the old flesh and then the new community of the spirit and so he goes on into the next passage and he's beginning to explain who this community of the flesh is and that if you're part of this community and you choose this community and you and you're walking in this community what you're going to be what you're going to experience is that your relationships are going to have this kind of expression and manifestation. So he says, if you're with this group, watch it. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, lawlessness, impurity, sensuality, which the Gentiles would understand. They could identify with that. So Paul's not going back to the law here. He's going back to human nature here. He says, you're going to find people going to all kinds of different idols. And worshiping different ways, and different thoughts, and philosophies. But you'll go, you'll go to the witchcraft. You'll go to the sorcerers. You'll find enmity, conflicts, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, and disputes, dissensions, and factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and the things like these. That this group, this community, is not going to get into heaven. Very clear. So be aware that there are two groups. And as he goes into this, he contrasts that with a whole different mindset of people who have been recalled to life, resurrected, baptized in Christ, who now walk in the Spirit. They have the fruit of the Spirit, which are, you know, love, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there's no external thing that you can stop the internal life that's coming out of you if you're alive in Christ. If you're not alive in Christ, what's coming out of you isn't Christ. It isn't the kingdom of God. There's something else. And so Paul Paul is making very very clear delineation that you, young believer, you, Chesterland Baptist believer, are in a context where you're wrestling not against humans, but you're wrestling against principalities and forces that are not flesh and blood. There are two communities, two two gospels, and one is true and one is false, One is of the spirit, and one is of the flesh. And those who are of the children of Abraham, who get into the kingdom by faith, they are automatically able to call God our Father, though they're Gentiles. Because God always wanted to reach the nations. This is the missions moment we've been talking about, that God is a global God. He's a missionary God. He's not the God of the Jews. He's the God of everyone. And certain way, in Isaac, that you were running so well, but but you were hindered by the fleshly group, and this fleshly thinking. Did you think actually, if you began in the Spirit, you're going to complete this thing on your own effort? Well, yeah, that's what they thought. They thought, "I'm going to take up the, I'm going to do my part, and I'm going to make this thing right." Well, that's what Ishmael represents. How was is Ishmael born? Well, Sarah and Abraham, they weren't in the baby making business anymore. So uh Sarah had this idea well, now if we're gonna do this nation building thing, how many nations have we got, Abraham? So uh why don't you go into Hagar? And when you have a fleshly humanistic uh self A strategy set up that I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to get this thing to work out. You're following the line of Ishmael. Now, Ishmael represents that slave, Hagar, who is a bond woman. She represents the law. That if you're trying to do on your own effort to keep the law, to be blessed, you are of the flesh. Now, that idea of flesh, we'll talk about in a moment. But just for now, Ishmael represents the human effort side. But how was Isaac born? Again, Abraham and Sarah, they weren't quite up for it. And so, uh, God's spirit came. And in a miracle way, God had to do the work in both Sarah and Abraham to make them produce a child. And that was by faith. So, Isaac represents an unusual blessing, not based on human performance, but based on God's working in their life. And so that promise that Abraham received was fulfilled by the Holy Spirit who brought Isaac into the line of promise, into the line of the Spirit. But what does he say? Again, this is Paul's argument. And once you get this clear, What was Paul's argument? Get rid of the bond woman. That group is not the group I want to bless. That group will hinder you. That group won't be from above. And therefore, what Paul is saying logically, the true gospel is anchored in history. It happened in time. It happened with people back then, and those people are part of a redemptive narrative that the Spirit of God is writing and working through our human relationships. But make no mistake, the key here is that God wants to make a people for Himself, and those people who are identified as God's people are going to have certain identifying marks. And the marks aren't going to be circumcision. They won't be marks of the human effort. They won't be marks of of personal preference or cultural differences. It will be marks from heaven above where the Spirit of God comes in and sets you free. This Spirit, this Holy Spirit, given because God sent his Son to redeem us from the curse of the law, forgives us in Christ on the cross, resurrects us, baptizes us, And in the death of Christ and in the resurrection of Christ, the Holy Spirit's bringing everybody to life who is born again, who belong to him. This Spirit is at work. And that Spirit wants you to set you free, set you free from having to earn or trust yourselves or the human effort because this is the work of God. This is the miracle of God to give you life, not just rules, but new relationships. And this true gospel is the true freedom. And and that's what the Judaizers were trying to block and steal. There are two gospels, two groups. There are two communities. There are two identities. And they're marked and known. And they reveal and reflect the image of God in certain ways that should be so distinctive. There are two ways of life. And Paul's now arguing this. Now you've got, you've got the spirit, you've got the leading of the spirit, you've got Paul's logic. Here's what Paul's argument is. You don't have to go back to the old because I'm doing a work in your day that if you were to be told, you wouldn't believe it. This is the messianic reign where the, the here and now, and you get a taste of this before you go and go to heaven. But now in chapter 5, he talks about these groups in terms of the fleshly group and the spiritual group. Those who walk in relationships according to the flesh and those who walk in relationships according to the spirit. And there's a distinctiveness about both of these groups. And here is where we make a major, major U-turn. We now leave history. We now leave history. And we take this passage. We take this passage so out of context that we distort the gospel here. Let me show you what I mean. When Paul's talking about the flesh, what does Paul mean when he uses the word sarks? When Paul talks about sarks, the flesh, He's talking about the man who has no relationship with God. A Sark's community is a humanistic community without the influence of the Holy Spirit whatsoever. A person who is of the flesh, who can't understand the things of the flesh, doesn't want to understand the things of the flesh because the flesh is dead in response to the things of God. And therefore, this fleshly category which leads us to all kinds of conflict immorality impurity conflict arguments all those things that characterize what we have done in our understanding and what you have to understand is to understand this understanding is that the word flesh is used five different ways in the New Testament the flesh of the body the flesh of the skin the humankind, the flesh, no flesh will be justified. There's lots of ways. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But Paul's saying, you've got to get this, and I hope you get this. He says, if you understand the flesh, well, we say, well, we do. What we think then, our flesh is the same as our sinful nature. And we have been taught, I have been taught, I grew up with this, you grew up with this, that your flesh, who you are, is sinful. Your flesh is the sinful nature. And uh, wrongful. This leads us down a road of psychologizing, spiritualizing, emotionally subjective, experiential. We think the BBS syndrome, remember what that is? The belly button syndrome. It's like, oh, there's something wrong in me. I got so much lint on my belly button. I got it. And we tend to think that the Christian life is getting the flesh shaped up. Got to, i gotta I gotta work on that attitude. I gotta work in that anger. I gotta uh, What a, And we struggle with the flesh. We think because it's an internal thing, uh, it's not an internal thing. It we we become psychologically schizophrenic. Spiritually we think. Why am I thinking this way? Why am I doing this way? And so we've turned this passage into a privatized spiritual self-development where I've got to shape that flesh up and make sure they grow in Christ, not do these bad things. What does God want to do with the flesh? Repair it? Want to improve it? Get in line, conform to what we're saying over here? No, no, no. The flesh is death there's nothing good in the flesh meaning meaning not the human sinful nature again flesh means no relationship if you are in the flesh you are separated from god it's a broken relationship and that's what's wrong what's wrong is not you what's wrong is there's no relationship for you with you That has Christ all over you. It's just you're by yourself, independent, stubborn, and you're going to do it your way. That's the flesh. But we think, and you've heard, you've got these two dogs inside. There's war, there's civil war, there's conflict inside my flesh. Now remember what Paul is saying. Paul all the way through Galatians, has never once mentioned any kind of personal, psychological, spiritual warfare. He's talking about those who belong to Christ through the faith of Abraham, blessing of the Spirit. He's not talking about spiritual, emotional, Christian experience here. And yet we have taken this to say, there are two dogs inside, and the one I feed, the one I'm going to get power. And this is not what Paul's talking about at all. Paul is saying that there are two communities. But the communities have to do not so much with what's on the inside, but the master who's on the outside. Who are you serving? Who is your master? Who is the one that you're following? And so your body as an instrument as a vessel in your human nature by essence from the beginning of creation does not have now listen and think with me your body in essence at the beginning was not did not have a sinful nature if you read NIV, you read King James, you will get this teaching because we've translated that word carnal or backslidden or fallen, nature. So, but, he, but Jesus talks about the body in very concrete terms. and we make it an abstract thing. It's not about your nature and essence of your; It's about this relationship. And that's where American culture really takes this one. And turns it on its head because we change this whole thing about who's on the throne it's about it's not about Jesus it's not about the master of sin it's about me and so it's all about me and so all my Christian life starts with me and ends with me and I use God for my purposes the whole idea that Paul says if you're going to be of the Isaacites you're going to be of the faith and the Spirit with the blessing. But if you're going to be of the flesh, you're going to be separated from God, get rid of the bondwoman. And therefore, the real question that Paul is saying to us here in the logic is, if you're going to be part of the true gospel, if you're going to be part of the, the true faith, you're going to be marked, by identified with the relationship of the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit is going to become the master that you have a relationship with. If you follow the Spirit, if you're in a relationship and walk with Him and your identity is with Him, you won't carry out the flesh. (laughs) It's not an internal thing. It's just an external, I'm with Jesus. And that's what the Gentiles had to decide. Uh, Who am I going to follow? Am I going to go back to the old fleshly way? Or am I going to do the new way of of the Spirit? And Paul says, this is the way you guys need to go. Forget those old guys. Come on and go, go with what God is doing in the Spirit. And that difference is a relational difference. Therefore, what it means is that if God gives the Spirit to the Gentiles, that man who is honored by the Spirit, that Egyptian who is honored by the Spirit, the Ethiopian, the, the, the Vietnamese, the Thailand, the Mexican, anyone who's not Jewish by ethnic descent can get the Holy Spirit. And if they get the Holy Spirit, they call God Father just as you call God Father. And here's the community being brought together in relationship. And it meant that to love then mean that the Jew would have to love the Gentile. And the Gentile would learn to love the Jew. And what it meant that that joy and the peace and all the fruit of the Spirit would be a new community that would reflect the kingdom has come. That's what Paul is talking about. So the questions we have to think about is this, are these, who is our real master? And I'm going to reflect and identify with him. If that master is of the flesh, you'll see it in my relationships. If that master is of the spirit, you'll see it in my relationships. It's not about you having a privatized faith. It's not about you having an emotional experience with Christ. It's about how you relate to Him and how you relate to others. What keeps us balanced is understanding what the Holy Spirit wants for me, what the Holy Spirit does in me, and through me to you. And so I'm not the end of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's I'm a vessel, a means where he can build that community. What's keeping me back? There are some other, this is a pot of coffee. But the idea is that, that God wants to work through not just an individual. He wants to work through the whole community. Therefore, what would be different? What would be different if we really did walk by the Spirit? Relationally thinking about other people? What would be different if I used my, my freedom to love and embrace and honor others instead of being self preoccupied with my emotional, the Judaizers? What would it be to love, uh, would love make for the Judaizers? They'd walk away from their argument. From the Gentiles, they'd walk towards Christ and they'd reject that false gospel. What would difference would it make for me? And how I love the Father, how I love the Son, and how I love the Spirit. You see, Paul's argument's going to continue because there's some really great things next week as well, because it's about your ability to identify and love and honor God through your relationships. Well, I'll stop there. Put it on your, put it on pause. There's so much here I want you to think about because If you are not practicing life according to the Spirit, you may not be part of the kingdom of God. If you are substituting not just a Jewish tradition or a Christian tradition, you may be doing so in the flesh, but may have never been born again in the Spirit. Therefore, if Christ is your Lord, and the Spirit of God is the Lord leading your life, you should have identifying marks experienced. In your relationships if you're walking by the Spirit that's the proof that you're born again that you learn to love well well that's a pot of coffee that's two pots of coffee well I'm gonna leave you with that because let me tell you this the Spirit's desires are against the flesh and he has he's won my heart he wants to win yours too let's pray father Marcus Mark us well with your Spirit, and may Christ be reflected in our group as people who are people of the Spirit, who love well. We don't do that well. We need to learn. So, Father, we just say thanks, and we return our our, our, uh, praise to you, and thank you for this teaching. In Jesus' name, amen.